I'll invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, our verse for meditation tonight is verse 12. But since the author of Hebrews is making a comparison that begins in verse 11, I'm going to cheat a little bit and start a little early. But turn with me to Hebrews 10. Uh, we'll be in verse, I'll read through a verse 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do thank you for the priestly sacrificial ministry of your son. And we ask now that in our time this evening, you would renew our affections for your son, make them fresh, make them grow, and grant our understanding of the significance of what Jesus has done to increase all the more to your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my uh, teachers aptly summarized the entire book of Hebrews with these three words. Jesus is better. The entire book juxtaposes Jesus' ministry and person with the Old Covenant at various points. And to show you at each point, Jesus is better. There's something uh, rhetorically powerful about that strategy. Rather than just saying, Jesus is best, period, game over, the point is actually more uh, efficiently made by lining Jesus up with something and then showing, look, Jesus is better. Our verse tonight focuses on how Jesus' sacrificial death, his priestly ministry, was better than all the offerings in the Old Covenant, all, uh, all the work that the priests did in the Old Covenant. All the sacrifices and festivals of Leviticus, all the ceremony, all the ritual, all the religious cultic participation. Yeah, Jesus is better. So tonight, we're going to think through three things in connection uh, with uh, our verse. We're going to consider the futility of those old covenant sacrifices, the futility of the Levitical ministry, really religious ritual in general, We'll also consider how the futility of the sacrifices reflects the futility of life. And then we'll meditate on why Jesus' sacrificial ministry is better. So firstly, the futility of the Old Covenant sacrifices, jumping up to verse 11. In verse 11, the Levitical priests are set before us first, so we can see them. So we can see their ministry, be ready to see how Jesus is better. As we read, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. Right at the beginning of that verse, the, the author makes a point of saying, the priest stands. The priests, they need to stand. Uh, this is important. It's a, not just a, a thematic image that he uses to contrast with Christ, but you'll see it's, it's thematic for the entire book of Hebrews. The priests stand because they have to work. We're told really three things about the priests. They stand because they work, because they have to work daily, they have to repeatedly offer the same sacrifices, and those sacrifices can't take away sins. Right? It's actually a logical chain. Right? They, they have to stand and serve daily because they have a need to repeatedly offer the same sacrifices. And they have to repeatedly offer those same sacrifices because those sacrifices can never take away sin. 
what you're seeing there in verse 11 is the futility of the Levitical priesthood. All the sacrifice, all the ritual was futile. It didn't accomplish anything. It just went on and on with no end and no results. Now let's be clear. The author of Hebrews is not denying that Leviticus is scripture. The author of Hebrews is not a Marcionite, right? You remember the second century heretic Marcion who said the Old Testament was bad. That represented the work of a lesser demiurge spirit, not the one true God. The author of Hebrews is not rejecting Leviticus as scripture. He's not saying that God had nothing to do with the Levitical sacrifices. He's not saying the Levitical sacrifices were man-made religion that couldn't do anything and that God disapproved of. Quite the contrary. Throughout the book, he makes it clear. God did indeed command those rituals. God commanded the sacrifices. God instituted the Levitical priesthood and all the rituals, sacrifices, ceremonies, and festivals. They were divinely instituted. So then why on earth would God institute a feudal system? Why on earth would God give the people rituals that didn't ultimately accomplish anything? Was that God just setting his people on a wheel like a hamster and saying, have fun going nowhere? It's not what God was doing. The Levitical system was deliberately futile. Like we heard in Ecclesiastes this morning, part of the point of the system is to demonstrate its own futility. Ritual and symbolic actions are not meaningless. And the Levitical rituals weren't only about being a futile exercise, right? God blessed the, his people greatly through the rituals when they were performed correctly with the right heart. All worship is wonderful. We still have religious rituals. God still blesses his people through them. We sing, we pray, we read, we take communion. Those are religious rituals. And God blesses his people through them. He promised to. They're made for it. He gave them to us as a gift. And yet, think about even the most wonderful worship experience that we could have. The best Sunday morning, right? We feel the Spirit especially active. The sermon hits you at every beat. Perfect amount of encouragement and conviction. All the songs were your favorite. The fellowship was sublime. Your relationships imminently enjoyable. Your conversation deep, warm, and fun. Think about that Sunday, right? Not every Sunday morning is perfect like that. Probably on the fewer side, so totally perfect. Yet those Sundays exist, don't they? Right? Some of us have had them. Yet even after one of those Sundays, it's still Monday. And that's part of the point of Sunday worship, to show you that you need an eternal Sabbath that never ends. Because the rituals, if they don't have an end, they point to are just a rat race. If at any point a ritual becomes more about the ritual itself or the people who participate in it, rather than the reality that it points to, it becomes empty. That's part of the point. Part of the point of the Levitical sacrifices was to show that we needed some sort of decisive dealing with sin, something to rescue us from the cycle of sin and death, some sacrifice that wasn't futile. Secondly, as we saw this morning, it it wasn't just sacrificial ritual that God divinely instituted to demonstrate futility to his people. It's all of life itself. The Levitical sacrifices parallel all of reality. They were to be enjoyed and a source of blessing if properly understood. But part of properly understanding them is to recognize their hopelessness without a, a telos, without an end, without a goal, without a savior. 
Life is like a religious sacrifice, like a Levitical sacrifice. Every day you repeat the same stories, the same beats. Nothing changes. No real progress happens. You cannot accomplish anything, not in a way that actually progresses your reality, not in a way that truly satisfies. You know, when I, uh, when I worked at uh, the sushi restaurant, I did tempura, you know, like the deep frying. One of my favorite things to make was soft-shell crab, not because I eat seafood, but just from an artistic standpoint, right? You had to learn a special technique to drop the crab in because you wanted it to come out perfect, right, with the, you know, the claws making the little U and the legs all each spread out like the Spider-Man symbol. Right? It's, that's very hard to, you know, dip in batter and get it to come out perfectly. Every single order was a chance for me to pursue what I colloquially called a go-home crab. I actually got everyone else in the back to call it that as well. A go-home crab was a crab so perfect, so evenly battered, so symmetrical, so perfectly splayed out that you could never do better. All there was to do at that point was just go home. I wanted to make a crab so good that I'd just have to go home after that. I did it once. I made a crab so beautiful that I could literally not imagine any tiny way it could have been better. And you know what the problem is? I didn't get to go home. You know what happened after I achieved perfect artistic culinary excellence with a go-home crab? The next order came in. And my crab was meaningless, and it was back to work. That's how life is. No matter how great any one given accomplishment is, it becomes ultimately unsatisfying. And even your accomplishments can be bitter because of it. Bitter once you attain them, precisely because there is still a tomorrow that rolls around with nary a thought about yesterday's accomplishment. Life goes on. It goes on in exactly the same way, regardless of your accomplishment. Right? Imagine you're the ambitious student. You get your 98s, your 99s on your tests. You never get that elusive 100. You study, you strive, you work yourself to the bone, and you do it. You finally get that 100. Your tomorrow will look exactly the same, whether you got the 100 or the 98. Tomorrow's satisfaction does not care about yesterday's accomplishments. Every day you start anew, unsatisfied. Every single accomplishment, even the greatest, most life-altering, most history-altering, most mankind-changing individual accomplishments must be followed with the inevitable question, now what? And eventually you realize, I guess I just go on, and on and on, and then you die. No ritual will ever change that. The Levitical sacrifices were a picture of futility. And finally... Then Jesus stepped onto the scene. God did not leave us with just that. Our verse for meditation tonight reads, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down. Not like he, he took a breather, right? Not like you or me who might momentarily sit down in satisfaction to enjoy an accomplishment, but then we have to get right back up, right back to the futility of life. No, Jesus said it is finished and he meant it. Jesus actually accomplished something, not just for himself, not just for history, but for all of reality. Jesus accomplished something that would actually alter reality and rescue mankind from the futility of endlessly repeated religious ritual, yea, even, even from the futility of life itself. Jesus accomplished something that satisfied himself and would satisfy others. Jesus' sacrifice is better than the feudal sacrifices of the Levitical system because his sacrifice actually addresses the futility of life. Life is futile and absurd, subject to futility because of our sin. That's a curse. 
and it is meant to draw us near to God. The Levitical sacrifices were meant to teach us about the hopelessness of sin and the futility of trying to escape sin and death by pointing to a sacrifice that actually could deal with sin and death. And Jesus' offering of himself actually did that. He actually accomplished the defeat of death by dealing effectively, perfectly with sin, right? That's the Corinthian logic in Paul. Death and its accompanying futility of life are the result of our sin. They are a judicial punishment. Earlier in Hebrews, the author quotes from Psalm 95. He does it at least three times. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Three different times. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That psalm is referencing the generation that left Egypt. But because of their rebellion, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. And they had to die in the wilderness. And God called the promised land his rest. It was keyed to his Sabbath rest, his accomplishment that led to real rest. And because of sin, the people weren't allowed to enter the promised land. In other words, because of sin, rebellion, the people weren't allowed to enter rest. That's God's wrath. The judgment on the wilderness generation was a typological picture of future ultimate judgment. Because of our rebellion and sin, we are excluded from God's rest. And final judgment is imaged in our inability to find real rest, permanent satisfaction in all our work. Because of our sin, we are unable to enter God's rest. That applies both ultimately and daily. But God in his mercy provides relief from his wrath, relief from exclusion from his rest, relief from futility. Because Jesus' death actually sufficiently pays for our sins. Because after Jesus was offered, there is truly nothing left to be held against his people. Death itself is defeated, and that means futility is defeated. The Levitical sacrifices were futile, but they weren't pointless if you let them point you to Christ. In the same way, life is futile, but it isn't pointless if it points you to Christ. For in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness from sins, healing of the separation between us and our Creator, victory over death, and the promise of an eternal, non-futile life. Because Jesus' death satisfied the punishment for our rebellion, because we are forgiven for our sins that keep us from God's wrath, Jesus' death paved the way for us to enjoy eternal satisfaction. Jesus' death perfected, as it says in the next verse, it perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected. And part of the Hebrews' idea of perfect is to be able to be at rest. Jesus' death paved the way for heavenly joy in an existence of unmarred, joyful fellowship with God, living as we were intended to live in a way that we can't even really comprehend because it isn't possible for us to comprehend a non-futile life. As we saw in Ecclesiastes, everything we look around shows us life is futile. But because Jesus died to save us from our sins, his sacrifice perfects us. And oh, what hope. Part of that perfecting work is that Jesus' sacrifice makes it so that our work in our glorified state won't be futile. It will be satisfying in a way that nothing in this life ever could be. How will that be the case? What will it look like to work and worship and be totally satisfied and perfectly joyful and content? I have absolutely no idea. But Jesus can get you there. He made a sacrifice for sins and he sat down so that one day you can sit down next to him. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your perfecting sacrifice. We thank you that you were able to accomplish something, that you were able to sit down, and we thank you that your work invites us to the future hope of sitting down next to you, enjoying the eternal satisfaction won, the freedom from the futility that our sins have created. Thank you for your mercy and goodness to us. We pray in your name. Amen.